When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now on today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Spurs' head coach search. We'll also be looking back at Ryan Mason's first two games as acting head coach and then also previewing Saturday's Premier League clash against Crystal Palace. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I managed to escape all things Spurs for about six days, headed off to sunny Sicily. Well, apart from one day, which is a bit wet, but pretty much sunny Sicily. Um, I didn't miss anything, though, did I? Did anything happen while I was away? I know there was a couple of matches. No, not a lot. Pretty boring games, really, uh, all being told. But yeah, uh, lots and lots to discuss in the world of Tottenham Hotspur following two rather chaotic games. Uh, one point from a possible six. So Spurs go into these final four games really needing to get back on track, especially with European places up for grabs. So I think before we get onto the head coach search, I think it's probably early right. We say a big congratulations to Tottenham's under-18s following last night's under-18s Premier League Cup triumph where Aston Villa, a 3-1 win. And then there's also... Obviously, congratulations for Tongi Ondambelli as well for playing his part in Napoli, winning uh, the Scudetto for the first time in 33 years. Napoli uh, missed out on the chance to win it last weekend, but they got a 1-1 draw with Udinese last night. So Ondambelli will return to N17 in the summer with a winner's medal in his bag. Yeah, he started the game as well, didn't he? Yeah. Apparently, there were some fireworks in Naples last night. So, so I'm led to believe just just a couple of fireworks <laughs> went off. Um, yeah, it's just he adds to the list, doesn't he, Tongi, of the players who've gone away and won trophies, um, often while being a Tottenham player as well. Uh, honestly, there's so many players who've gone off elsewhere to win trophies. Incredible. Always George's Kevin and Kudu is the one that I always think of. He literally went away like the first season after won a trophy. I mean, even Skippy went away for the year, didn't he? And won the championship title. He did, um, he did. It, it's incredible. Um, yeah, Tongi hasn't got had the game time he probably would have wanted, but he has featured in almost every game. It's not like he hasn't, you know, he's just been kind of out of the squad. He's played his part, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, you know, you can just imagine him striding back into the training ground in the summer. Like, yeah, well, what are you going to say now? Um, but yeah, so, um, and yeah, as you say, the under 18 is following on from the under 17 success as well. There's been this kind of narrative about Spurs Academy this year that, oh, you know, they've been rubbish. Everything through the club is rubbish, but they really haven't. The under 17s and under 18s have had a brilliant season. Um, and I watched, um, well, pretty much all of the match last night. And honestly, some of the talents coming through that set of players. Jamie Donnelly, I know he was a bit of an older head among that group, but he was superb last night. Scored a cane, uh, scored a cane. He scored a goal that was quite reminiscent of a Harry Kane finish. It was really, really nice. And he ran a lot of the play. Mikey Moore is so young. He's like the other end of the age scale on that under 18. He's going to be such a player. Um, and yeah, and um, oh, I've got a killer pronunciation of his name. Rio Katamarayan. It's... I'm absolutely mullering it there, so I apologise to young Rio. But he popped up with a couple of goals, played very well as well. Alfie Dorrington involved in the last goal, striding with the ball out of defence with a 1-2 and then to Donnelly. It was, honestly, it was a really, really good 
um, performance coming from behind. We're not used to that with Spurs, are we? Um, but yeah, fantastic with Stuart Lewis and the academy coaches and what they've done this season. I, I tweeted out last night about how what a brilliant end it was to a long season for the academy. And some people say, oh, you've forgotten about the development squad. I hadn't, but I don't know. In my mind, I kind of—I know they're part of the academy, but I kind of see them as this intermediate stage between the first team and the academy. I don't really include them in it, even though that's ridiculous because a lot of the academy players from below fill out that team as well. But yeah, I know Wayne Burnett's side's got a massive game on Saturday against West Ham, where it's pretty much do or die to stay in the division. I think they've got a. I can't remember. I think they may even have to score, win by three goals to stay up. It's going to be an absolute shootout. West Ham are a couple of places above them. It's so tight down the bottom of that league. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed for them that they can pull out some kind of result. They're so light on strikers. Yeah, Lancashire and Sunset Bell both out injured uh, for the remainder of the season, and, and they're really going to have to find the goals from somewhere. Um, and the trouble is, they can't even like they had Lucas Moura, didn't they, for the last couple of games? They can't even really put him in there either anymore. Uh, you'd wonder, you know, you put in a couple of ringers, but they can't even really do that. Um, but yeah, other than that, below them, under 18s and under 17s, uh, fantastic. They should all be very proud of themselves. You can see the celebrations. It's the kind of thing that even when you're a, an old senior pro, you look back on those kind of days and when you started to win silverware. And uh, yeah, fantastic result for them. If you've not seen the goals from last night, uh, do watch them back. I mean, Jamie Donnelly's mm. was really good finishing. Same with Rio Kayamatan's uh, finish as well for the second one. Very Ronaldinho-esque with the outside of his foot after just yes. you know creating the space in the box. So, yeah, if you've not seen them, do uh, try watch them back if possible. Right, on to first team matters then and the search for a new head coach. We're just over about 10 days on from Christian Stellini's dismissal as acting head coach Ryan Mason in charge for the remainder of the season. And, you know, Tottenham and Daniel Levy really need to get this next decision right. Ali, you've been off the past week, but I mean, you were straight back onto the manager search yesterday, uh, trying to tell everyone the latest, really. Yeah, it's uh, it was one of those where I th- there was a part of me, I must admit, that was hoping that I would return to some like massive news and huge developments. Uh, you know, as people often tease, that seems to be what happens while I'm away. But for some reason, this time it just brought more crazy football, uh, but not really too much in the way of progress with the manager search. I mean, what we can say is that they seem to be now past the the research stage where they're looking into the candidates, compiling a shortlist, and now we're at the stage where those managers in jobs they are going to start uh, discussions with. It appears that they have already had some discussions with those out of work. Obviously, contact has been made with Julian Nagelsmann. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how this one goes in terms of Daniel Levy's lost a lot of the the football expertise around him, the big voices. Obviously, the main one being Fabio Paratici. Um, Fabio Paratici, whatever you want to make of his impact and influence at Spurs and how it all ended uh, with, with everything going on at Juventus and the fact that he had to resign, he was a very dominant voice behind the scenes at Tottenham. And he was a rarity in that he was someone that was able to tell Daniel Levy very clearly what he should do. You know, I'm not saying that Daniel Levy always listened to him, but certainly he was someone that uh, had the experience and someone that Levy wanted for years. And if you're going to bring someone like that in, you're going to listen to what they want you to do. Or And, and that seemed to be the case. So now having kind of removed him from the scenario, I'm intrigued to see kind of where that leads Spurs. I certainly know that Paratici's shortlist, the, some of the people on that included Luis Enrique, uh, Nagelsmann was one as well. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton, obviously, is fellow Italian. Uh, Sergio Contrachao at Porto was another one that Paratici really liked as well. So it's interesting now to see if any of those transfer. Well, I think we know Nagelsmann obviously does, and I'd say De Zerbi does, but whether Luis Enrique certainly, whether he transfers across the other list, I don't know. I don't know about Enrique because I think, you know. It may well be that Spurs and Levy go for another glamour appointment, as they see. And I think Enrique is the one that ticks that box. 
and he's obviously available and free. But it feels like they're going towards a certain mould of a, of a younger project manager again, which I'll be honest, I think a lot of people probably would be quite happy with now. I think there's a lot of Spurs fans that will feel that we've done the glamour appointments um, and now it's time to try and build something again. So, you know, I certainly know some of the candidates Spurs have looked at and researched. They include, obviously, Nagelsmann and Deserby, Arne Slot at Feyenoord, Vincent Company, another, Xabi Alonso, Ruben Amarin. Um, there's certainly been some kind of thought about Andrzej Postacoglu as well. I don't know whether that's something that advances much further than that or not. Um, he's a bit old. I think he's about 57. Don't really fall into that kind of young project manager. Let's be honest. If we're going to be absolutely honest, Spurs are going to have looked at what's happened at Arsenal and thought, we need some of that. Hopefully, they will have also realised that Arsenal did exactly what Spurs have done. <laughs> and they very much have kind of replicated what Pochettino did, only that they've added better backing, cleverer signings, and most crucially, silverware to that as well, you know, with a couple of um, with FA Cups in there as well. Um, yeah, you can see the kind of the way Spurs are going. Um, and like I say, I'm, I'm intrigued to know about the the advice he's getting. I know Daniel Levy is certainly someone that takes advice from various high-powered people, whether that be uh, high-powered agents, whether that be people within the club, whether it be experts in certain fields. And it's quite interesting because, and I must stress straight off the bat, Spurs have categorically denied this. But I was told that um, that Levy had been receiving advice, advice from this uh, sportsology group. Um, and if you're not aware who Sportsology are, they're a company that's been run and founded by Mike Ford as their executive chairman. He used to be Chelsea's director of football operations back when they used to win lots and lots of things. Um, I think it was about six years he was there during the Abramovich era. Um, and Sportsology, if you might have seen their name about a year ago, they were credited with helping Man U hire Eric Ten Hag. What they do essentially is... Uh, they go into uh, sports clubs, but also businesses, and they kind of uh, ensure best practice for them. They'll go out. So let's say for a managerial thing, they might go out, research various candidates, help compile what they think would be a short list of people that would meet all of the criteria that the club would need for their next manager. Um, and then, yeah, and then they would present their findings. So that's what I've been told. But I must stress before any aggregators pick up like, Gold says this sort of thing. Spurs are absolutely saying this is not true. They're saying that the sportsology have had no involvement whatsoever. It's just, just, just interesting for me. The only reason I mention it is purely because I was wondering where the advice is coming from. Because, you know, without trying to sound too disrespectful to Daniel Levy, yes, he's been a chairman of a football club for 22 years, but I think a lot of people would admit that when it comes to football decisions, it's probably you know, you would leave a lot of that to the experts or you would hope because certainly a lot of decisions that have been made with on-pitch matters at Tottenham have not been successful. Um, and often the ones that have have a little bit, have been a bit fluky, let's be honest. I was trying to think of a nicer word to say it, but they have. You know, Mauricio Pochettino was the biggest one and he wasn't even the first choice. It was Van Gaal. They kind of ended up on him because Van Gaal said no. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to know where the... Um, experience comes from, where the decision-making comes from. Obviously, we know about Scott Munn. Um, <laughs> Scott Munn, uh, how do I put this? With In quote marks, is set to start work on July the 1st. Um, of course, we all know that like Fabio Paratici was set to start work on July the 1st, Fabio Paratici was so heavily involved in Spurs managerial search in 2021. Um, yes, it did end up with Nuno. Um, but he was heavily involved way before he was meant to start. Um, and yeah, while I was away, there was, there was a photo doing the rounds, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, there was. Uh, I think was it? some Tottenham fan had seen Daniel Levy and Scott Munn in London City Airport. So yeah, that was doing the rounds and plenty of people discussing that, where exactly they were heading. Yes. I mean, uh, what was Spurs' official line on that photo? I can imagine what it was. It was Scott Munn that does not start his work until July the 1st. He's still on gardening leave from the City Group. <laughs> I'm sure it was just an incredible coincidence. The two of them just happened to be in the airport at the same time. 
I just it's amazing how these things happen, isn't it? You know, should we meet up for a beer, Scotty? Um, I can just imagine it right now. Uh, but yeah, Scott Munn obviously will will bring some experience, but I would also say with him, he's very much going to be Daniel Levy's number two type. He's not going to be a uh, director of football. He's not someone that will have absolute widespread football knowledge. He will have knowledge of running a, a football club. You know, he was the, I think he was the CEO of Melbourne, wasn't he? Um, uh, what's that name? Melbourne Hart. Melbourne Hart. Yeah. Yeah. What was it before? It, it was, it became Hart, wasn't it? It was something else before that. I keep confusing the two. But anyway, yeah. CEO was of there. But not- Melbourne Hart previously. Now it's Melbourne City. Like it, that's it. That's it. Of course yeah. it is Melbourne City. It was part of the City yeah. Group. Yeah, that was it. Melbourne Heart previously, then Melbourne City. Um, so he's got experience of running them. Obviously, very different level, very different club. Then working within the City Group, uh, mostly in China in recent years. But yeah, they still need someone with that that kind of experienced head to come in. And we've said it before on this. It's the chicken and egg scenario, isn't it, that they need that director of football. They need someone to come in, but it just feels like pressure-wise, they're going to have to appoint the head coach first, which is is kind of the wrong way around to do it. Uh, but I think if you wait, if the Spurs fans would just be so... They just need to get it done, essentially. I know they're going to start work, essentially, on getting a director of football almost simultaneously, but you've got to... Um, you've really got to pick two like-minded individuals you know you can't pick a, a like let's say for example a project manager with attacking ideas and then bring in a director of football who's more kind of practical pragmatic in the way that they want their football to play it's not going to work so they really are going to have to find two people maybe with with a bit of a history together obviously a lot of people will be suggesting well try and go for Nagelsmann and then maybe bring Ralph Ragnick in as well, um, which would would make some sense. Um, It's not the worst idea in the world, to be honest with you. He's a very experienced man. And I think while, you know, he he didn't do particular wonders at Man U as a, when he stepped in to be the, the coach for a while, I think a lot of what he said about what was happening behind the scenes, people have kind of realized at the time was, was spot on. So as a director of football type, that could actually be a good move. Um, so, yeah, maybe one to keep an eye on. But, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to see which way it goes, this managerial research. I mean, out of the names I said there, which would be the ones – give me give me your top two or three that you would like to see at Spurs. Personally, out of those, I don't think fans will agree. I'd like to see Postacoglu have a go okay. at the job. Uh I think he's done a really, really good job at Celtic. He's brought everyone together. Fans absolutely adore him, got them playing good football. But is it a big enough name for Tottenham fans? That's what I I would say. And would they give him the time if, obviously, results don't go the way uh, to start with? I'm not sure on Alonso. I don't really know much of the job he's done. Uh, Leverkusen, I think, around fifth or sixth in in the Bundesliga. Uh, it's a good job. He's done a good job in a yeah. very short amount of time, but I think the key is short amount of time. Yeah, but I think with Alonso, other than looking at just replicating what Arteta's done at Arsenal, because Alonso and Arteta, childhood friends, I think they're mm. both from San Sebastian in Spain, obviously know each other uh, really, really well. But I think, obviously, Julian Nagelsmann is probably the standout on that list uh, for everyone else. And then the others, really, obviously, they've all got the strengths. I just, I don't know. I don't know if it, is it a bit too early for company. I'd surely he'd benefit from another year or two with Burnley in the Premier League. Amarim's done really well at Sporting. Uh, for Arna Slot as well, he's done well at Feyenoord. But then... I know some have said no to Postacoglu, but what's the difference between Slot and Postacoglu? At the end of the day, Eredivisie's a two-team league as well, maybe three-team as well if PSV, you know, are going strong in it. I know Feyenoord, I think they got to quarterfinals of the Europa League, was it? Until Roma knocked them out. Mm. So, yeah, some good candidates. Personally, for me, I'd like to see 
Ange Postacoglu have a go. Uh, I just can't see that happening, though. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that strikes me about a lot of the names is there's a lot of flavour of the month kind of managers in there um, who do have very limited experience. Um, and I think, I guess that's where the director of football comes in. If you're going to bring in a very inexperienced person, it helps to have a real guiding ha- hand above them. Um, yeah, there's, I would say it's a it's a good list of names. And who knows, there may be someone unexpected that comes into the mix late on. Um Alonso and um, Amarim both play with a back three, which is interesting as well, and, and what that means for the squad and what utilizes certain players like you know Pedro Porro, obviously, as, as a wing back that's going to give him more of a chance of uh, fitting in better, I guess, rather than having to retrain as a fullback, as it were. Um, personally, I haven't really swerved too far away from it over the last kind of few weeks or so. Julian Nagelsmann, for me, is the one that ticks both boxes. He's the glamour appointment, but he's also the project manager. He's a big personality. Um, I think Spurs would have to kind of adjust to that, but then I don't know if that's always a bad thing, having a big personality. Um, Arne Slot, for me, having kind of read a fair bit about him, I like the idea of him a lot. Um, Again, whether the entire fan base would, would get behind that appointment, I don't know, but he certainly is the is the big thing in Dutch football, really, managerial-wise. Obviously, there'd be an ascetic look of maybe just trying to make up for not pushing the button on Ten Hag, you know, two years ago. Uh, But certainly, um, he's a guy that likes his attacking football, and I think he would bring a a brand of football that Spurs fans would love to see. Um, Definitely with company, I do... I I really like what he's done. Um, but I do think he's also, of course, very untested at the highest level. I think his only top-flight experience really is Anderlecht, which wasn't the most successful time for him. And also, I do wonder with him whether, maybe it's just because we're probably sick of having managers that we're constantly having to ask about their future, but you you do think that you get any success with Vincent Company, and you'll constantly be thinking he's a stepping stone to Man City. Um, which, you know, we've seen it with Gerard as well. I think everyone, when things were going well for him, you just assumed he was the heir apparent at Liverpool uh, for Klopp. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, it could be absolutely fantastic company, but I just think there's a part of me that's a bit bored of that and, and having to wonder constantly about whether the manager's going elsewhere. Uh, and I, I, I love the football Deserby plays. Um if you know, there was obviously there, there seemed to be certainly early in the process, Deserby wasn't too keen on on heading away from Brighton. Um, but personally, if there was any change of heart there, I think the football he would bring to Spurs would be terrific. Um, but I do think character-wise, he would be a bit of a um, uh, how do I put this? I'm not going to say a loose cannon because that's not true at all, but he would certainly be a live wire for Spurs and Daniel Levy to deal with. Similar-ish to Conte, uh, but maybe even kind of a, a younger, slightly, uh, I don't say crazy version, but yeah, live wire is probably the best word to use. Um, yeah, so those three for me are the kind of the standout ones for me. Nagelsmann, Slot and Deserby. Um, But yeah, we'll see which way it shakes up. I think we'll start to properly see stuff ramp up now because now they'll be talking to managers in jobs and requesting permission to do that. That will leak out into all the various local media around those in various countries. So I think you'll see quite a lot now accelerate. Um, I saw Alonso was asked, wasn't he? Um, Was it yesterday or the day before about it? Um, And he was just like, I'm 100% focused on next season, which is exactly what pretty much every manager is going to say now. Um, and we shall see what Spurs do. But I do think it's so key in getting not only the right man, but the right person above them as a director of football to either whether it's giving them, lending them their experience or just, just helping them guide them through the absolute chaos that can be Tottenham Hotspur would be helpful. But I'm just going back very quickly, I'm going to ask you this question. When you talk about Spurs and looking for an Arteta clone of sorts, is the closest thing to an Arteta clone for Tottenham, Ryan Mason. I was just going to say there's one name we've not discussed there, and that's Mm. Ryan Mason. Uh, He's definitely thrown his hat in the ring. He said that in the press conference last week. I know 
everyone will just mention his age, given he's 31, but he made it clear in terms of, you know, coaching what he's done over the past few years. He's got six years' worth of experience under his uh, belt. So in terms of coaching, you know, he's got plenty of experience and I think he's just waiting for this challenge. I think Arteta, uh, Arsenal, Arteta knew the club. He went there from Everton in 2011. I think he had about five seasons, then had the opportunity to work on the Pep Guardiola uh, at Man City. And I mean, very similar for Mason had coming through Tottenham's academy, playing in the first team, then having the opportunity, obviously, to work under Antonio Conte uh, at the club. So he's got a lot of experience. He'll have learned an awful lot of Antonio Conte over those past 18 months. Uh, and I think now it's just the case for Ryan to try and make his his case to Daniel Levy and Tottenham in these next four games, I think. The past two games, obviously, results haven't gone their way. One point from a possible six, but there's definitely positives to take from uh, the past few games. Uh, Spurs are certainly a lot better going forward. And if, you know, Ryan can get Tottenham into a Europa League place uh, come the end of May, then, you know, he'll certainly be making a case to Daniel Levy, but it's just one of these given all the uncertainty, what's happened at Tottenham this season, does the chairman just need to go and get an established name rather than a 31-year-old? I don't know. That's that's one for the chairman. But yeah, I think Mason probably maybe is the closest thing to, you know, a Mikel Arteta clone. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I just, I think maybe it's just come a little bit too soon for him. I know he says he's ready, uh, but obviously he's about a decade younger than Mikel Arteta as well. Um, look, I guess if you look at it from the other point of view, um, people wanted Pochettino. Spurs, for some reason, we're not entirely sure of, didn't want Pochettino to come back. But I guess... Ryan Mason is a Pochettino disciple. If you're looking for someone that's absolutely like idolised Poch and, and kind of took uh, wanted to take on a lot of the uh, philosophy and the way of playing that he had, it's Ryan Mason. And, you know, he is well-respected. People are always talking about how clever his training sessions are as well and how he sees the game. Um, and certainly, you know, watching from afar the last couple of games... He's got him playing some decent football again. The the defence is still an absolute shambles, don't get me wrong, but but certainly going forward, Spurs now look like they can score a lot of goals again. Um, but, yeah, I just wonder if it's come too soon. I don't think we're at the stage where the fans, enough of them would take to it right now. I think they would see it as being unambitious, uh, which is a shame because if I'm Ryan Mason, I'm saying, well, wait a minute, you're looking at, Xabi Alonso, who's been, you know, at Leverkusen for what months. Um, you're looking at Vincent Company, who's had one season in the Championship. You're looking at a lot of managers who've got no experience of the Premier League whatsoever. Um, nobody knows the club better than Ryan Mason. And you know, by the end of this little stint, he'll have had twelve Premier League games under his belt. He'll have had a League Cup final as well. He'll have taken on Klopp. Guardiola, Ten Hag, he'll have taken on all these managers in the Premier League and I think, oh, how are the people more experienced than me in doing these things? So I, I, I would get his his case if he, you know, he's trying to put it across. I just feel like maybe it's come too soon. Um, 
And I do wonder if if another person is brought in, whether he would then feel the need to go elsewhere rather than continue at Tottenham kind of learning. Uh, it's a difficult one. His age, he's got so much time on his hands that he could probably could afford to sit and learn from another manager and then maybe look to try and push again the next time it comes up. But also, there's going to be an impatience from his side that he's got his pro license, got it a few months back. He'll, he feels ready. Uh, maybe he goes out there and starts interviewing for jobs, you know, in the, perhaps the Championship League one. I don't know where you'd start. Um, it's difficult for a manager. I guess it's where the opportunities lie. Because obviously, the other fear is you go somewhere and as we've seen with other managers, you kind of almost ruin your reputation. Um, obviously, Gerard at the moment, we know it, it kind of didn't go so well for him at Villa. Uh, Lampard, we'll see what's happening with him. That, that's obviously like a proper free fall now in his managerial career. Even someone like Scott Parker, who did really good things at Fulham, obviously he went abroad. That didn't work for him either. Um, it's it's a very difficult one, that decision between do I go out and try and prove myself but potentially, you know, damage my own chances um, or do I wait and see what comes up but then maybe that chance never actually does arise. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see because I'm heading off to Ryan Mason's press conference after this podcast and it will be my first one since 2021 when he was just a 29-year-old. I'm intrigued to see from what I've read it feels like I mean, he's always a mature chap anyway. I guess what happened to him and the way his career as a playing career ended, it makes you grow up very quickly. Um, but certainly I've been impressed by the way he's been talking um, and I'm intrigued to see it kind of in the flesh, uh, how different he is just with those two years of experience under his belt um, when he talks. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. My, my gut would say it's probably not going to be Ryan Mason, but who knows? With Tottenham Hotspur, absolutely anything can happen at that football club. I mean, for Daniel Levy, this decision is a gamble, whoever you choose, because there's no yeah. guarantees that whoever comes in, you know, Nagelsmann could come in and he could not work out. Someone else could come in and it could be a huge success. I just think, given everything what's happened at Tottenham over the past three and a half, four years since Maurizio Pochettino left, Tottenham need to get back on track. I don't think Daniel Levy can probably afford to gamble on Ryan Mason. Because mm. I think everyone's just expecting an experienced, established name to come in and try help Tottenham get back on track. Yeah, the results Absolutely. might go well this season for Mason in the final four games. But if he's appointed head coach for next season and he has a start maybe like Nuno, then what's that going to mean for Daniel Levy and the club? I mean, he's already... You mean win manager of the month and win the first three games? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from... What happened between September and the, the end of October then? Uh, but, I mean, it'd be under so much pressure. And he's, oh, anyway, absolutely. I mean, it'd be ridiculous levels if Mason was appointed. It, it didn't work out. I, I agree with you. I just, I can't see it happening. But no, let's wait and see. Uh, there could be a surprise. Yeah. Pressure. It's like you say, the, the pressure's there, isn't it? The pressure would be on Mason. It would be too much for a young manager, I think, to take on. You need someone that's going to unite the fan base again. And I don't know if he's ready to do that quite yet. Um, and yeah, Levy especially, my goodness. Like I said, we've said before, I think with Scott Munn coming in, I think the structure is being put in place for him to step further back from some of the football decision-making. And I think that's crucial. I think, it, that re- I think we're at a stage now where even if it's just to protect himself, um, but also I think to get some fresh voices and fresh kind of eyes on the decisions being made, I think, you know, there's no denying what Daniel Levy has done off the pitch and the successes he's had off the pitch. But on the pitch, it needs someone to be making those decisions, someone else to be making those decisions, I feel. And I think this is where we're going to see just how much influence Scott Munn will have. And then also, in turn, the new director of football when they come in because, yeah, the fan base are at a point now where they, they want change. And it's, to be honest, this is a good opportunity for Spurs. Um, as, as as absolutely chaotic and messy as the club is right now, it is a, a sometimes out of change, you know, you, success can be born because you can really reevaluate what you're doing and have, like I say, fresh voices. It happened in 2014. Poch came in. 
he kind of, for the first few months, towed the line a little bit. And then he just kind of, well, he's admitted it himself. It was like, he was going to get sacked if he didn't just say, right, we need to gut this. We need to very much change things up, make it all my way, not the way it's been. And I think this has been the, the issue for Spurs in the re- recent seasons. has been that, and this is with no disrespect to Poch, because obviously, you know, a big admirer of what he did at Spurs, but future managers were just kind of building upon what he did. So it was like this messy hybrid version of a Mourinho team mixed with a Pochettino team or a Conte team mixed with a Pochettino team. Yeah, and that bloke Nuno in the middle briefly as well. Um, and it didn't really work. And I think with no disrespect to the platform that Poch built, they need to have a reset. They need to have a big kind of change in the squad. I think we're all sick of the tweets after every defeat of Spurs had five players in their team that also started in 2015, whereas the opposition didn't have a single player. And it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. Spurs have still got a lot of players that were there when Poch were there seven, eight years ago, whatever. I get it. And I I do agree. I think there needs to now be a, a, a rebuild, a revamp. We've been saying it so many times, but I think we're now at the stage where I think just for the sake of some of those players, they also, I think, need to probably kind of have fresh starts in their career, but also for the next manager to build their own thing. So, yeah, you've got this opportunity now to have a a fresh new head coach, a fresh new director of football, a fresh person making the decisions almost at the top in Scott Munn. Use that. Absolutely use that to propel the club forward. You know, it might not work. It might be, you know, it's Tottenham, so it could all go horribly wrong. But also, it's got equally got the chance to to build a whole new era at Tottenham. Because let's be honest, there hasn't been enough success in the previous ones. Um, there's been progress at times, but never any sustained success in silverware. So yeah, take advantage of this and and build something from it. Right, as we're now halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, as, as you may be aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something I've done many, many times over the years um, using the service to be able to watch stuff abroad when I wasn't able to watch it otherwise uh, because of those pesky uh, kind of restrictions they put on, even though you're paying for a service in your homeland, you really should be able to take that wherever you go. Um, And yeah, and various other things as well you can use it for, especially security. It's fantastic when you're using public Wi-Fi in various places. It stops anyone being able to get into your device and, and taking things off it you don't want them to. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at much cheaper rate. So let's say you could book flights from other countries and that can be cheaper too. So that means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN. So why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, we'll discuss Ryan Mason's first two games in charge now. The first one last Thursday was a 2-2 draw against Manchester United. And then on Sunday, it was a agonising 4-3 defeat to Liverpool having... You know, come back from three goals behind and Tottenham and I think Ryan Mason feels like they really should have won that game at Anfield because of the amount of chances uh, they created. But we'll start with the Man U game. Uh, Ali, and I think you saw about, what, 70 minutes of that? <laughs> from, from what you saw of it, what did you make of it? Yeah, I should explain that just a little bit further for everyone. So, yeah, I was abroad. Um, my wife very kindly allowed me um, about 20 minutes in to have the United game on my phone at the dinner table, um, which I was very grateful for. But it was very much something I'm, uh, you know, looking looking to back and forth while while eating a very nice Sicilian meal. Um, Liverpool game an absolute internet nightmare. So I was only able to watch about the last 15 minutes of that, which. 
as it as it turned out, it happened to be a rather dramatic fifteen minutes or so. Um, but yeah, as for the United game, that's probably the one that I, yeah is I saw about seventy minutes or so. Um, it's yeah, it's as we were saying earlier, attacking wise, there's so much more threat. Um, but again, this kind of early crumbling that they're doing in the defence, it's happening now with such regularity. Um, it, there's so much work to be done on that defence. Um, I can imagine, I think we'll talk about it when we talk about the Palace game, but there must be a temptation to not only change personnel, but maybe go back to that back four um, and, and and from Ryan Mason that he's more used to, especially now you've got Ben Davies fit again. Because that back three, it's almost like, I don't know, they just switch off so... I mean, some of the defending was horrendous. I mean, Eric Dyer's defending for, um, was it the second goal? I'm trying to think what it was now. Well, he kept stepping off and stepping off. For the United game, for Rashford's yeah. goal. Yeah, it was the second yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, we've seen him do that too many times, uh, Eric Dyer, where he just kind of gives them that m- bit more room. I don't know what the logic is, whether it's uh, if I dive in, they'll get by me because I'm a bit slow. I don't know what the thinking is. But we've seen him do that. Often he does it when they're kind of uh, centrally and he backs off, backs off, backs off and lets them shoot. I remember, oh my goodness, it was a Leicester goal. It's gone out of my head. Who scored it for Leicester? Um, when he Dyer kept backing off him, backing off him and he ended up just placing the ball in the corner because he gave him so much space to work. Uh, Nacho, was it? Yes, Nacho. That was exactly it. Yep. Yeah, it, it felt very similar to that for me. It was one of those where he just kind of says, go on in, go on in, go on in. Oh, you did. I was like, well, what did you expect to happen? If you're going to continually back off. Um, so, yeah, defending-wise, horrendous. Romero looks like a player playing alongside other players he doesn't entirely trust, which is not good. And he's then making silly mistakes himself um, in, in some of his football. Porro is very much still adapting to defending in the Premier League. I think we're seeing that. Scored a lovely goal at the other end. Um, absolutely fantastic goal, but still defending-wise is something that... And he's going to need time. I've seen people writing him off already. It's like, the guy's only been here a few months. Um, he needs to like have a, have a full pre-season. Um, obviously, they'll sign him at the end of the season. The, the obligation will come into force. Um and yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. I think he's got all of the skill set there to be fine. He just needs to be coached, essentially, and that's how it works. But yeah, in terms of this performance, I'd say... I mean, actually, you, you tell me because you were there and I was watching them from afar. What was the mood like in the stadium? Because I can imagine it would be quite understandably frustrate, frustrated but also a bit toxic early on. But did the crowd get behind them as the game felt like it started to turn. Yeah, very much. That was pretty much what happened inside Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. There's definitely a lot of frustration early on, especially when you concede in after seven minutes and a goal, which was very reminiscent of the first one they conceded in Newcastle about four or five days before because Pedro Porro and Christian Romero just stood off. Jaden Sancho allowed him to come into the area and find uh, the bottom corner. And then Tottenham in the first half, you know, did push on quite a lot. They had a couple of good chances. Uh, even Perisic had a header, uh, well saved by David De Gea. And then Perisic as well was put through on goal for a one-on-one with De Gea and shot straight at the keeper. And then it was just it was the decision-making then from Perisic deciding to keep the ball in play rather than letting it go for a corner. And in that game, Tottenham did look uh, a threat from set pieces as well. And obviously, he kept it in play and then United won the ball and then they just turned it over five seconds. Marcus Rashford put through on goal. I've no idea what Eric Dyer was doing, to be honest. Just stood off and stood off. Didn't try to narrow the angle or get close to Rashford at all. And as soon as the striker put on the afterburners, there was only going to be uh, one outcome. And I think that was the third time looking for Rashford because Forster had denied him a couple of times before with uh, some decent saves. So 2-0 down going into the halftime, there were a smattering of, of boos, but Tottenham looked a lot better team coming out in the second half. Uh, really took the game to United. Some really, really good attacking play. And, you know, once I got the first, you know, crowd lifted 
massively played a huge part in you know trying to g the team on to get a second and then hopefully uh, a third one after that and chances were there uh there was brilliant ball in from son that kane uncharacteristically missed at the back post got his effort all wrong but you atoned for that uh error uh not long after when kane put another really good ball through for him and you know he made no mistake this time and at that time i think ryan mason changed it uh i think it was one of those if they were going to carry on chasing it then they probably would have been uh had the pockets picked really in united would have uh, got a third goal. But yeah, I think all in all, it was a good point, especially when they were 2-0 down. But in terms of the fans, yeah, there was certainly frustration there really on, but they were really behind them at the end and they got a good ovation at the end after earning the point. That's interesting. That's interesting. I thought there would be probably bigger half-time boos like we were used to in the past. That's interesting. It wasn't quite what I expected. I'd imagine there was a fair few chants, though. Was there, Did we get the yeah. Levy out chants? Yeah. Yeah, from the I south presume, stand. Yeah. No Pochettino chants, I'd imagine, no, this time. No, uh, but the Levy one, really, really loud. I think it started yeah. from the south stand and basically just went around the stadium. And that was uh, midway through the first half. But, yeah. <laughs> that's what we've come to expect it's happened that pretty much all the recent games now and will likely continue for the remainder of the season and beyond yeah it'll only stop I guess when he starts making the right decisions I guess um, just to quickly throw this in now only because it's just been announced while we're doing the podcast but Spurs have confirmed they're going to hold their first ever Premier League um, Women's Super League double header at the stadium on Saturday 20th of May Spurs of Brentford, obviously, uh, we know the uh, 12.30 kickoff on that day. And now, fantastically, Spurs uh, women are going to be playing Reading at 4.15 on that day. So that's fantastic. Hopefully, lots of people stick around and watch both matches. Uh, and you could end up, you could end up, uh, I'm trying to think what the, the Spurs record is for a, a women's game. They've had a few at the stadium, but I think... If you got the bulk of that crowd to stick around, I would imagine you'd be able to break that by quite a bit. Um, so that's fantastic to see that that's happening. Um, but yeah, back to um, the United match. I think this is the thing I took away from from that game and also what I saw and, and obviously read about the Liverpool game uh, as well was that they just they could have won both games. I know that there was a lot of defensive horror show moments but actually, both games, despite conceding six goals across them, they could have scored more than six in return across those two games. Uh, sorry, more than the five that they got. Um, which, yeah, I mean, it says a lot about Ryan Mason changing that element massively uh, within just a couple of weeks to suddenly look like a dangerous team going forward. Um, but yeah, it's just... I mean, yes, I guess you could outscore some opponents, but when you come against teams like that with the quality they have up front, you've got to be better at the back. Um, and I think it's clear there's going to have to be personnel changes there in the summer. Um, and, yeah, just, just trying to... The mentality is so fragile, isn't it? To continually keep doing the same things and making the same mistakes, and as soon as you can... I mean. How many games now have they conceded a goal within the opening five to ten minutes of a match? It's ridiculous. Obviously, last three games, or well, certainly the last two away games, they've had two goals within the first um, few minutes. It wasn't there, I think I read, was there a Liverpool game that Spurs fans were chanting at Liverpool about how bad are you, you're only 2-0 up or something like that, and ten minutes have gone, something like that. Yeah, there was a, a few chants like that after uh, 10, 15 minutes. I think everyone was probably just fearing the worst, especially when they went 3-0 down after 15 minutes, considering a week earlier they were 5-0 down after 21 minutes. So, yeah, I think Spurs fans just trying to have a laugh at the situation. And, yeah, wasn't good from a Tottenham perspective in defence again. I mean, if you look at the goals they conceded, they're just... So, so poor, and they're just giving themselves an absolute mountain to climb in games, especially when you're coming up against a team as good as Liverpool, as good as Newcastle and Manchester United as well. I mean, if you look at the first goal, Pedro Porro is alongside Christian Romero marking, it might have been Gakpo. I think Dane Kuliseski 
a few seconds earlier, had won a tackle against Curtis Jones, pushed upfield, then glanced back, and Jones was in the area on Martin. And good finish from him. Second one was just Gakpo getting the better of Dyer and putting in a good cross for Diaz, who nipped in ahead of Romero. And then the third one, that's just totally reckless from Romero. It's just yeah. as good as it has been at times uh, for Tottenham. It, it can be a bit of a liability at times as well, just with Dyer, stupid, Dyer stupid beaten play. too easy as well, just outside the box. I think that was for the second one, was it? Oh, I feel like it was just before the penalty. Unless I'm mixing it up, I should watch the some of the highlights yesterday just to make sure I was kind of saw the key bits. And unless I'm wrong, maybe it wasn't Dyer, maybe I'm being harsh on him, but I feel like someone was beaten very easily outside the box. And then Could well the, have been. the ball was worked in and Romero did that tackle. But regardless of what happened outside the box, Romero shouldn't be jumping into tackles like, oh, like that in the area. It's just stupid on his part. But, you know, fair play for Tottenham to get him back in the contest because when it was 3-0 after 15 minutes, you're thinking it's only going to go one way here. You're going to be conceding another five or six goals. But really, really strange game. I think it just showcased how poor both sides have been this season because it wasn't until probably 10 minutes before half time when Tottenham got a bit of a foothold in the game and I think in the space of five minutes to create some really really good chances Uh, there was the one when Son had an effort cleared off the line by uh, Van Dijk Harry Kane scored you know a couple of minutes after that from a really good piece of play from even Perisic who has been performing really well these past couple of games yeah. and good ball from Skip as well wasn't it to him oh fantastic ball to split the defence and having watched it mm. back it was a really good move starting in defence to pass yeah. it out when it got to Skip who then played it through and Mason ball Mason ball yeah <laughs> but Spurs could have been level at half time as daft as it sounds because uh, there was the one when Kulisewski went through on goal and opted to shoot at Allison when he could have squared to Kane and Son, who was offside, curled a really good effort against the post. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a crazy, crazy game, which Spurs, full credit to him, managed to get back into and probably should have won it, all in all. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, I saw, obviously, I was kind of basing a lot of the first 70 minutes off of what I was reading online and also social media. And there was quite a few Liverpool fans after the game as well were admitting, yeah, after those first, like, whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes or so, Spurs were actually the, were the better side in the game. So quite a few people actually admitting that. Um, but it's just this ridiculous situation of, like you say, a mountain to climb. Why are there so many times this season they've done that? I, I don't think... Look, Spurs have always been an inconsistent team. But I don't think I can ever remember a season where they've given themselves so many mountains to climb in so many games. It's It's ridiculous. It's so... It's just poor. It's just really, really poor mentally. And like I say, coming out and not being able to perform from the start of a match and only being able to perform once you're behind, it's it's very weird. It's kind of slightly sadistic. It's like, punish me and then I will perform. It's like really weird. Um, but yeah, um, strange game. Obviously, the Jota challenge on Skip I saw did not look like a challenge that really that player should have stayed on the pitch. Um, yeah, of course, I, I, I think it was accidental. I've seen some people saying, oh, he's looking at him or that. I think it was accidental. But unfortunately, it's just a dangerous challenge, whether it's accidental or not. Um, you know, obviously, I think Skippy had to come off, didn't he, with the, the cut to his head. So we'll get an update on that as well today, hopefully from Ryan Mason. But he'd played well, which was a shame as well, losing him from the game. Um, and then, yeah, Ryan Mason kind of... <sighs> It was one of those where, you know, it all sounds great with in, in hindsight, but I did, as soon as Spurs scored the goal, Richarlison finally able to celebrate a goal, and actually it was a goal. Um, but I immediately turned to my wife, and I just said, because I was, I was absolutely able to watch it by then, I just said, the problem is, is the formation. 
they're now going to be so open and Liverpool are going to throw everything in this last minute or two. And unfortunately, it proved to be the case. Um, it was weird saying that to my wife rather than you. <laughs> You're like my work wife. Kind of <laughs> it was actually weird to actually say that to her. Um, and yeah, and although to be fair, Lucas Mora doesn't play that daft kind of nonchalant pass back and maybe they hold on. Um, and, and you're looking at something different there, I guess. If Spurs come away from Man U and Liverpool, regardless of the starts of the games with a point at each one, you're probably thinking, okay, fair play. Fair play, Ryan Mason. That's actually a really good kind of takeaway from that, even though it's, it's, it wasn't enough. Um, but yeah, Lucas Moura. Lucas Moura, I think the right wing-back experiment with Lucas Moura, maybe uh, that might be the last time we ever see that. Um, it's one of those where... And I know fans will say this. I know that young managers, especially maybe, especially in Ryan Mason's position, he'll always go for the experience option. But was just out of interest. We remain Mundell on the bench. No, Alfie Devine was back on the bench oh, this Romain time. Wasn't. Yeah, Devine was uh, on the that's bench. A shame. Oh, fair enough. That destroys my point. My point was going to be something along the lines of. If you have a young player like Romain Mundell, who can also play as wing-back and does that quite regularly, but is also a winger, then really, for me, that would be a more natural option to play there. But yeah, if Mundell was on the bench, fair enough. Lucas can only... Uh... Although I suppose you don't have to make that choice. But, uh... but yeah, I mean, it's you, can, you, can, you can understand why Lucas and Dan June were on the pitch, because at the time Tottenham were pushing for an equaliser and they managed to get it. So it's one of these where... You've got it now. You just need to see the game out. Even if you're playing in yeah. positions you're not used to, and yeah, it was just one of these things. It was just the par back passing. Fair, fair play to Jota seized upon it and managed to find the corner. And something I didn't mention in the game, Ooh. which sounds extremely daft, because Liverpool were absolutely relentless in the first 15 minutes. You'd think it once they got the fear they were going to get a few more here. Fraser Foster didn't even have a save to make in the game. Not one. It's weird, isn't it? He made a really yeah. good save against United, didn't he? After the ball hit the bar. Yes, uh, from Wambasaka's header, and he made yes, a good one at the near post as well from Rashford. He's playing really well, Foster. I'd just keep him in now for the remainder of the season. There's an argument to say maybe he should have done that in the first place. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's sad because I do feel like because of the way this season's ended... I think we might end up seeing a few of the names that have obviously brought great moments to Spurs in the past, just kind of ending their time at Spurs, maybe in a in a way that it's just such a shame. Like Lucas, I think, you know, there's a definitely a fan apathy towards him now. Uh, certainly among, I'm not saying all fans, but some fans. I think Lloris as well, you know, I know he's got a year left, but you would think that maybe this summer becomes the one where they make the change. And we know, you know, we've been reporting this for months that Spurs are looking to bring in his long-term successor. I think maybe you're at the point now where Lloris just probably thinks, I think I've done my time here. And I think the fans clearly are kind of not desperate anymore for him to stick around, which is just sad because, you know, he's a guy that's given more than a decade of service to the club, 11 years. But, yeah, I think it's probably a time for a change. And obviously that also brings with it a fresh captain voice. So I'll go back to my original thing. So you've got a new director of football, new manager, potential new captain, new um, chief football officer is, is, is tied to the Scott Munn. So it really is a chance for your entire spine of your club to be very different. Uh, obviously, some people will say, how different can it be if Daniel Levy still makes the decisions? But... You know, again, he needs to kind of, I guess, let others take more control and see what they do with the club. Um, but yeah, yeah, two fascinating matches. Um, I was about to say, do I regret kind of not being there? Definitely from a football spectacle, yes, but it was very nice in Sicily. So I did need the break as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, interesting now to see what happens at home against Palace, against the team. You could say Spurs would be expected on paper to beat. How do they then go out there and attack that with, um, you know, with Ryan Mason uh, at the helm? Yeah, it's uh, on paper you'd be expecting a Tottenham win. Tottenham have, I think, a decent run in the final four games. I think some good games there where they can, you know, pick up points and potentially, you know, try and get a Europa League place now. Uh, but they need to do it on the pitch and 
get the points. Uh, won't be a straightforward game at all. Palace have been going really, really well on the Roy Hodgson. I think they could potentially finish in the top half. Uh, at one point, probably mid-March, they looked like they were going to be in a relegation battle. But Hodgson's come in, got some fantastic results. And, you know, when you've got players like of, uh, Elise, Eze, Zahar up front, you're going to be in for uh, a tough battle. So Tottenham are going to have to be on it defensively. It's just a question for Mason now. Does he persist with the back three? Then do you bring maybe Clement Longley in instead of Eric Dyer? What I can't see him doing. Or do you go to a back four? But then a right back, you've got Porro who's struggling defensively. So, yeah, big, big decisions for Mason. Yeah, it's it's one of those where I think Davies obviously brings you stability on a back four on a left. But, yeah, Porro, it's, oh, you just, you'd be more comfortable with Emerson there, wouldn't you? Which is a phrase that we probably wouldn't have said about a year ago or whatever. But, yeah, I think certainly when it comes to a back four, I just wonder if he thinks, right, well, for now, let's keep it as it is. But yeah, Dyer's the, the the key one. He's he's meant to be the experienced head in that back three. And right now he he's not leading it, he's not organizing it, he's in a bad spot of form. And and if that was anywhere else on the pitch, you would probably see that that player would be replaced with another player. Um and you know, he has been taken out. Conte took him out a couple of times and put Longley in there. Um obviously he was suspended for for a game as well, and they had to do that. But yeah. It's it's a difficult one because the the thing that's kind of put against Mason in the past was oh he plays his mates, although you look back and some of those players that players were calling for have ended up unfortunately for one reason or another not actually playing for Spurs anyway. The likes of Ondan Bele and I think Joe Roden was another one people wanted to see and they haven't been able to force their way into the team regardless of whether it was Ryan Mason. Um, I just. I just wonder whether he goes for the experience of Dyer in this game. Dyer's actually played well against Palace in the past quite a few times. I can remember that. I always remember one uh, one nil win when it was him and Sanchez together in a back four and they played really, really well against Palace. I think it was at Selhurst Park as well. Um, but yeah, he, he's clearly a guy that is not in the best of form or confidence right now. Um, it's a really difficult run of games, these, in terms of mentally how do you stop the players from checking out? You know, they're not going to get the top four. Even top six is is a tough task now with Brighton having won that game and having two games in hand as well. Um, yeah, you're playing for Europa Conference League football. And regardless of whether it's right or not, some of these players may be thinking, you know, I'm better than that, which this season would suggest other than, you know, probably Harry Kane aside, they're not right now. Um, oh, I do feel so sorry for Harry Kane. Yeah, 25 Premier League goals in 34 games in that team. I don't know how he's done it. I mean, he is... Oh, I don't even want to think about what the future holds if it doesn't contain Harry Kane. But, you know, I think I'm at the stage now where you just couldn't really blame him, whatever happens next to him. He's been so... He's just been there for Spurs throughout whatever mess they've found themselves in. Um, I just yeah couldn't believe that when I was look I looked up his stats today having been away and just the twenty five and thirty four everyone's talking about Haaland. I actually think what Kane's done is more impressive because of what he's done it within. Um, don't get me wrong, Haaland's been incredible. He's had an amazing season. He's set a new record. It's absolutely fantastic. But I still maintain what Harry Kane would have scored in that Man City team. I don't think would have been too dissimilar. Um, I just, yeah, I just feel sorry for Harry Kane being being associated with the mess that is Tottenham Hotspur this season. Just going back to your point about European football, uh, yeah, Tottenham are in seventh at the moment because Brighton won last night against Manchester United. So, as it stands, Tottenham are in the Europa Conference League position. Europa League football still there for the taking, and that's a good competition. And I don't think you can really, obviously. It, Tottenham need to win trophies. Surely that's a winnable one if they get into it, same as the Conference League. But Europe League, that's not out of the equation just yet. Yeah, I know Brighton are what, a point ahead of uh, Spurs, the two games in hand. But look at Brighton's running. Everton at home, Arsenal away, Newcastle away, Southampton at home, Man City at home, Aston Villa away. Villa also have a really tough running with 
Spurs, Brighton and Liverpool in the final three. I think Tottenham have the better running. So it's it's not out of the equation just yet, but it's just a case of Tottenham winning the games. I think Brighton will drop points. So regardless of whether they've got two games in hand, I think Spurs can potentially still leapfrog Brighton. Yeah. Yeah, no, they could do. They could do. We'll, we'll cling on to that. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> I've seen some some fans having the the old classic debate on, you know, oh, we want to kind of finish outside the top. We don't want Conference League football and all of this. But it's awkward because then those maybe those same fans will also say in the summer, oh, why have we got such a small squad? You know, we need this big squad. And but the byproduct of that is if you have a big squad they need to play matches and the only way to have more matches to also have European competition um, whatever you feel about the Conference League it is a chance for you to use different lineups obviously you can't take it for granted because we've seen Spurs do that and completely mess up but you can make some changes um, you want a strong squad to be able to deal with the rigours of the Premier League season as well but you also need those players to get minutes so yeah I, I don't subscribe to that. I think it's different if you feel like your team could win the league next season, maybe. Um, but let's be honest, if you think this Tottenham team right now is in the state to go next season and win the league because they haven't got European football, I think, yeah, that would be a little bit deluded. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd take European football, whatever. Um, I'm sure Spurs fans would like some nice European trips, but they've got to be positive and, and go for it in these last four games and... Um, for Mason, it's a it's an audition for him as well. If not for now, but for the future, if his name were to crop up again, um, and just to get some pride back at Tottenham Hotspur, I feel like they've, in elements of the last two games, have started to restore some of that pride, other than the horrendous defending. But certainly, we've they've got the fans back on their sides with some of the things they've been doing. So just complete that job and finish the season strongly. Yeah, I think European football also helps in terms of bringing new players into the club, something what needs to happen next summer, or this mm-hmm. summer, sorry. Europe, a conference thing, maybe not as much of a pull at all, but yeah, I think I think Tottenham really do need European football for next season. That's it's me personally. It's another pathway to a trophy. Exactly. You know, exactly. I think Spurs can give up any pathway to any potential trophy. Yep. Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham as you need to get off to Hotspur Way, don't you, Ali, for Ryan yeah. Mason's press conference ahead of Saturday's Premier League clash against Crystal Palace. As ever, thank you for listening to the podcast and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.